What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and some straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Steve Hall, the founder and CEO of a company in North Texas called Drivers Select. I interviewed Steve a few weeks ago and needed a quick refresher of the great interview we shared to help me record this introduction. And I have to admit, as I listened to the interview a second time around, I grew more and more excited by the quantity and quality of leadership lessons Steve shared with me. Let me cut to the chase. Driver Select is in the business of buying and selling used cars. So why the hell is the founder and CEO of a used car business joining me to talk about purpose? Well, it just so happens that the success of Driver Select is a direct result of four things. Number one, having a crystal clear purpose, which by the way, has nothing to do with the product they sell. Number two, having a set of core values that they will not compromise no matter how detrimental it could be to the financial aspects of the business. Number three, driving towards increased simplicity in the business strategy. And number four, and perhaps most important, Steve recognizing that as the CEO, the company will only develop as little or as much as he invests in his own personal and professional development. If you're in a leadership role today or aspire to be in one at some point in your career, this episode is full of powerful leadership lessons relevant to every industry. Ladies and gentlemen, I share with you Steve Hall. Ladies and gentlemen, joining me today is Steve Hall, the founder and CEO of Driver Select. Steve, thank you so much for joining us. Really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too. It's great to connect. So, you know, I have to start in a place that I feel is a pretty obvious place to start, and that is that you and I met about two-ish years ago. We met uh, at the Conscious Capitalism uh, CEO Summit in Austin, Texas. And the audience that tunes into this podcast uh, tunes in because they are interested in the notion of purpose. And they're interested in the notion of leadership and how this collision of purpose and leadership and life and work, all of these things come together. And the business that you're in, the automobile business, uh, for the layperson, I think, is probably not seen as a purpose-driven type business. So I think a really great place to start is for you to share with our audience just a little bit about you and your background and how you got into the automotive business in the first place. And from there, I want to talk a little bit about Driver Select and the business that uh, you've been operating for the last 12 plus years. Yeah, so um, how I got into business is uh, probably not all that entertaining. I um, had to save up some money to go to school, uh, to college. So after I graduated, I think at the time, minimum wage was just over $3 an hour. And when you have about 12, 13 weeks over the summer to save, you either don't have much of a summer and work all the time or you don't save any money. And so a friend of mine had uh, gotten a job at a local Ford store selling cars, and he had told me, look, don't go down to the mall and, and work there for minimum wage. Come here, and 
you can make more in a month selling cars than you can an entire year working at a mall. And so I wanted to save up some money and uh, went ahead and took the job. And it turned out over the summer I had uh, saved about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars in a few months, and just thought I had uh, found uh, my career. And I said I. Don't know if I even want to go to college with uh, this kind of success early on, and uh, I was quickly reminded by my folks that uh, I didn't have much of a choice, and off to college I went. And uh, through that college experience, I stayed in touch uh, with the folks that uh, I was working with at the Ford store and continued to do some contract work. And when I graduated, I um, had bought cars uh, for the Ford store. I had sold cars and thought I really knew the business and I wanted to go out on my own. And uh, so if I know how to buy and know how to sell, I can go ahead and start my own business. And I was highly encouraged uh, by my dad and a few other mentors to say, no, actually go learn the business. And, you know, when you graduate from college, I thought I was uh, was a lot smarter. And uh, so I said, I'm going to go at it alone. And Within about two years, I had blown through all the money I had saved up going into business for myself because even though I understood how to buy cars and how to sell cars, there was one missing component, and that was called cash flow. And I didn't realize how much uh, growth uh, sucks cash. And so after I had pretty much sold my way out of business, I had to take a step back and say, I've really got to learn this business from people who have been around a lot longer and been a lot more successful than I have. And so I got an opportunity up in the Washington, D.C. market to be able to uh, go in and, and be trained by some of the most successful operators. And I just fell in love with the energy of the business. Um, but I was always uh, torn between the excitement and the energy of the business with the values that it represented. And uh, so I started thinking that there's got to be a better way to merge these two where you can build a high quality uh, brand and culture while maintaining the type of fun and exciting energy the business has. So I think that's kind of just kept me on the course with driver select and, Back in 2004, um, I had the opportunity to go back out on my own uh, after working several years with some big organizations and at the general manager level and even president of a uh, large auto group in the D.C. area. And um, so I decided to give it a chance uh, again and uh, took the learning that I had developed. And uh, it's been probably the best decision that I've made in my uh, professional career. You know, it sounds like that at the beginning of uh, of this career, which in in a way sounds like it chose you as much as you chose it due to the early success you had uh, that one particular summer as you were saving up some money uh, for your college years. Um, what was it about the business, you know, this energy, this excitement, this adrenaline rush? What was it that really captured you? Was it purely uh, this opportunity to make a lot of money because, uh, you know, have, now that I know you and have had the opportunity to spend some time with you, that doesn't resonate with me fully. So I, I would assume that there was something deeper than that. Can you elaborate on that a bit? 
Well, you know, I, I wish I could say I knew who I was at 17 years old, that I, I know who I am today, but that certainly wasn't the case. I think when I look back on, the, on that, um, you know, I, I found myself like a, a lot of teenagers where you're heavily influenced by the environment and uh, even the schooling that I grew up in, it, it, it teaches you to listen to others as opposed to listen to yourself. And what I tended to do back then was just listen to what was important for others. So, you know, uh, financial income was very important. Uh, being able to win, uh, being able to uh, achieve certain levels of competency and success, um, getting recognized and having certain status in an organization, all those things people tend to make it out to be as very important. And so I naturally followed those. And it only wasn't until later in my career that I realized that those weren't beliefs that I held. And I think you know, it gets to a point where um, what others think are important start to conflict with your true values and the standards and measurements and values that they have are just different. I'm not saying mine are any better than theirs, but they are different. And I think it just became time where it started to put a lot of pressure. Uh, and I realized that I'm probably not living true to the standards and measurements and values that I hold. And things had to change for me to really find meaning and fulfillment in the work I'm doing. So in 2004, if, if I'm not mistaken, the year that you started Driver Select, did you start the business with the clarity of purpose that you have today? So certainly not the clarity of purpose. I think there are certain things in the beginning that had kind of the DNA of it, but it wasn't, you know, I, I wish it didn't take me so long to find out um, how valuable things like higher purpose and culture are to an organization. Um, where I started was I really focused on the things I was taught in business school that you had to have a, a good strategy, you had to build a good successful team, you had to focus on a few key initiatives. And so I always tended to look around uh, how to build that into the company. I started to look at new processes, new opportunities, breakthrough ideas, right? And, and these were the things that were really gonna dr drive the business. But what I didn't realize um, was how important having a clear purpose and a great culture uh, allows those things to really come alive in an organization. I mean, you know, I, I kind of related to something I learned in a recent leadership class and they were talking about, you know, not all acorns become oak trees. And, you know, for, in order for a acorn to really turn into a oak tree, it needs the proper amount of sunshine. It needs the proper amount of soil and good fortune not to be trampled on to really emerge into an oak tree. And I think a lot of that is what culture does. You can have that 
great acorn, that great idea, or that great process, or that great opportunity. But unless you create the culture that allows it to get the sunshine and soil and, and the protective environment that it needs to really come alive, that great idea or that great strategy is not going to be worth a whole lot. And so I think for me is constantly looking for ways to create the right culture that allows these ideas to nurture and not just rely on kind of the protective layer of, of the acorn to turn into an oak tree, but it, it requires uh, a lot of other things from the environment. So the driver select purpose, if I can read it off here, to infect the world with highly contagious care. Let me say that one more time. To infect the world with highly contagious care. You sell cars. Make the connection for our audience. Yeah, so for us, it, it's sometimes the natural tendency I find is that we try to find our purpose based on the product or industry that we're in. Um, but it's not really about the, the vocation that you have. It, it's really about the values that you have. And so for me, um, I guess just being raised by mother who was a nurse, there was always embedded in the family this, this love and care around uh, people. And so that was a part of me, and I uh, started to realize that, you know, people come to work with a certain amount of energy uh, that they can deploy. And that energy can be expressed mainly through emotions and either positive emotions or negative emotions. And so if they bring that energy and they express it in through positive emotions, usually you're going to have higher levels of engagement, you're going to have higher levels of pro productivity, but if it's expressed in negative emotions where people feel threatened or they feel that uh, they don't belong or that they can't, they're not really supported, then those negative emotions can turn into drama and silos and blame. And you end up fighting a lot of internal battles with very little focus on the outside marketplace. And so what we said was, you know, if we can create an environment, you know, look at it like um, similar to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If we can first create a sense of security where people just know that it's safe to be yourself here, that I'm going to be able to at least have enough income to sustain the current lifestyle. Uh, that I'm living. I have a sense of belonging where people really support me and care about my success. I'm provided the tools and opportunities to achieve and, and have some success. And I feel that uh, the fourth layer is um, I'm, I'm doing something meaningful that adds value to not just myself, but to others. And then kind of the fifth level is I've also got financial upside uh, to really grow a career. And so the way we build this is through this concept of, of caring for each other. And CARE is an acronym we call Caring Acts Randomly Expressed. And, it, and, it, and I think the ultimate for us with CARE is it just has to be spontaneous. And it has to be something really small and easy to do. It doesn't, it's not, we're not looking for the really big things, but what we find 
is when people start to care about each other, then their energy is expressed through positive emotions and those that energy is used in a way where we are actually um, engaging in activities that drive the revenues of the company. If it's people feel that there's not a lot of care going on, then it can turn negative. And so we, we really believe this whole concept of care um, helps people become more secure, have a sense of belonging, have more success, find more meaning of life, and, and, and gives them the financial upside. I'm curious, over the you know 12 plus years that you've been at the helm of Driver Select, can you recall any instances where you've had members of the team, members of your tribe, who are phenomenal at expressing random acts of care, but have had a really hard time accepting a random act of care? Uh, maybe people are just not as comfortable accepting as they are uh, giving. Have you have you had any experiences like that where? It's almost uh, just disorienting for somebody to be cared for in the workplace the way that uh, you've been describing it? Well, I mean, a couple things. I think where we see some resistance is there's when people first join, they learn about the four core values and, and one being transparency. And a lot of times they interpret transparency as, oh, just, just be honest and, and, and uh, be upfront with people and uh, state your intentions. And for us, it's, that's kind of the ante to the game. What we're really looking for more in transparency is, is be the person you are at home. Come to work as that person. Because if you are comfortable being yourself, you're more likely to engage with others. You're more likely to extend care. The other thing about um, transparency is be willing to admit where you're stuck. So we don't necessarily see people resisting care as they uh, receiving care. It's mainly comes down to receiving help that I feel that I need to show that I can do this job and this task on my own because that's kind of the measurements that I've used in my old job. And so they tend to figure out, gosh, if I really come into this organization, I start leaning on other people and they start caring for me, how am I going to be uh, valued in the organization? I think that's the real challenge for people. But once they start noticing all the random acts of care other people are doing for one another, uh, they start to say, gosh, this this actually is core to the company, that it's not something that we put on our T-shirts or that we wear to work every day or on the walls, but it's really people are actually living this value out. So I think there's an initial resistance, but uh, after noticing more and more acts of care, it starts to become contagious. You know, as it relates to the business, um, I know you've had, uh, you know, a journey to get to where you're at today. No genius in that statement, but you've gone through, you know, a couple, a few iterations of the business and really establishing what your go-to-market strategy is, your strategic focus. And having had the opportunity to tour your facility, one of the things you had mentioned that really resonated with me, and I, I think it's had a big impact on you and I want you to share it, is this idea of just creating simplicity. 
reducing things to such a, a, a an easy to understand um, model. And I was wondering, could you share a little bit about some of the different twists and turns of what the business's strategy has been and what is it today? What is it that you have figured out through sort of this lens of simplicity? Yeah, so I think when I first started the business, um, I was more focused on how do I create value for people? And as you start getting more and more customers, each of those start having different needs. And so you really become, you're creating experience that are very customized, very personalized, and you're adding more and more things to the business. And as you add things to the business, what I was finding was it was getting harder and harder to execute. And people started to become confused about, well, who are we and, and what do we really stand for? And what do we do and what don't we do? And I think where it really clicked is I was told by a good mentor of mine, he had a strategy called 770, and it was find the 7% of your market and try to dominate 70% market share within that little niche. And you know, for automotive, it's very fragmented, so you may not be able to get to those metrics, but what I used was what is the small piece of the market we want to own and let's go all in and really get good at saying no to everything else. Really focus on what it, who it is we serve and what do they absolutely require as opposed to what they need. And by doing that, we've been able to cut out so much of our offering so that we can really direct all of our energy, all of our focus. I mean, when you think about the asset of a most valuable asset of a company, we think it's the time, quality, and focus of the leaders in that organization. And so if you define a very small niche, people are really, really focused on what it is you do and what it is you don't do. So for us, it was really about there was this small space in the automotive industry that we call a situational buyer. And they were mainly folks who wanted to buy a brand new car because of the latest body style, the newest technology, the comfort of driving under a factory warranty and the low cost financing. But they had a hard time justifying the new car sticker price. So they would fluctuate if the incentives were right on the new cars and manufacturers were discounting, they'd buy new. And if they wouldn't, then they would switch to maybe a one or two year old vehicle. So what we did was we said, look, let's go after that consumer segment. And these are value consumers. Um, and we exclusively offer a one to two year old vehicle that uh, has all the body styles and technology of a new one, but that we can retail for about 20 to 40% less than a brand new one costs. And so we started saying no to everything else in the industry. And uh, we have grown our business from about 40 million to 170 million this year uh, by actually removing more out of the business model rather than adding it in. And what's helpful is you have a very clear purpose and a very clear strategy. People start to understand who you are and what you do and what you don't do, and it increases their ability to execute. And when you when they have more clarity and they can execute better, then they start to gain confidence, and confidence drives engagement, and then engagement drives 
uh, more and more care for others. If I feel that I'm successful, I'm supported, then I'm more likely to extend more care and support to others. But if I feel that what I'm doing, I'm not clear on what's expected of me, I'm not clear on what my real role is, I'm not feeling secure, then I'm probably less likely to extend care. And so this is really the business model of simplicity has externally has really helped driven the culture and the higher purpose of care. You kind of see how those connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, a few moments ago, you had talked a little bit about, or you had uh, mentioned one of your core values about transparency. One of the other core values uh, that I know is, uh, as, as they all, all four of your core values are critical. But one of the other ones is this concept of learn to earn. I know that you place an incredibly high emphasis on learning, and in particular, your own personal development. Can you talk a little bit about how your development as an individual, as a human being, as Steve Hall, the person, has impacted the development of the entire organization? Yeah, so, I mean, this is where I spend so much time and energy on today. And I I think what I am learning is so much of how the business develops comes down to how I am responding and relating to the growth of the business and how I show up just sends a ripple effect through the organization. One of the challenges is that once I feel you know, that we've got a, a great business model and we're creating lots of values internally for our tribe members and externally for our customers, we want to grow it. And I want it to become bigger so I can have more of an impact and expand the brand. The challenge with that that I struggle with in, in my own learning is the faster I grow, the more potential there is for cracks in the organization to occur. You know, I kind of see, you know, these are problems, mistakes that happen. And what I'm starting to realize is that those cracks in the organization are actually healthy, not as harmful in the way that I'm interpreting them. Because what the cracks do is they create the space for light to kind of shine in on the organization and be able to identify that there are some real challenges and what we believe our winning formula or comfort zone is. And if we didn't have those cracks in the organization, we would hold our winning formula and we would hold on to our comfort zone and that would that would hold back growth. But allowing those cracks to naturally happen, um, even in the midst of a lot of pain and stress and anxiety, is actually helping. So I guess a lot of, you know, where I'm trying to get better at and really learn is this whole idea of balancing being grateful for some of the cracks that are happening in the organization, but also having the desire for constant improvement. It's about balancing growth with margin of error, right? And so the, a lot of the learning I'm doing today is is 
really around how I'm relating to these things that are occurring. Because if I'm not able to relate and respond in the right way, then I'm going to be holding back the development of others. Can you give an example? I'm, I, I love the light shining through the crack analogy that you've shared. Uh, you know, if you can, uh, is there an example of, of a crack of as a result of your growth, your learning that one of these uh, cracks has been exposed? Yeah, I mean, and, and so much of the cracks uh, are created by, by myself. So one of those would be uh, as the founder of the organization, I've grown up making most of the decisions and I've had the vision. And so I've been making decision after decision after decision and hiring people that go out and implement it. Well, as we get bigger and bigger, I'm starting to create more and more abstraction away from the front line of the business. And so I'm not seeing things that others in the organization are seeing, but yet I'm starting to make the same decisions. And so my winning formula is, if I understand where we're going and I've got the experience in how to get there, then I should be able to make the right decisions. And that's fine at a certain level. But what, what gets exposed is once you get to a certain level, I found that I wasn't as close to uh, the business as I once was, and that was holding us back. And there were people in better seats that were able to make better decisions. And even if it's not, how I wanted things to get done, um, it was the right thing for the business. And, and where it really clicked for me was I used to hand off something and my expectations were, oh, they would just pick up where I am and continue to implement and take it to a next level. And almost in every situation, where you where I was handing off something because I was controlling it so much when I handed it off it created a dip in production and that was just normal and so I had to get comfortable with things that I'm going to hand off there's going to be a temporary dip while people adjust and start to do it their own way but eventually it comes back up and I've seen it in so many situations in our company where the performance gets a little below and then shot back way above the performance that it was when I was holding on to it. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that. On your LinkedIn profile, you list your beliefs. And I loved going through that. And one of them, there's actually quite a few that I'd love to be able to get to, but one of them that just jumped out at me was that everybody has an invisible story that we can't see. And as a result, no one should ever be judged or stereotyped. Where did that come from? Did that come from you having your own in, uh, invisible story or was it something else that happened along your journey? Yeah, I mean, again, I think you just listen to yourself and if you can create the space um you you start to understand that gosh there's a lot more to me than what appears on the outside right and so i remember i think the the 
time that comes to mind was when I first started the business in 2004. I mean, you, you probably could not have picked a better time in automotive to launch a business. I mean, there was so much liquidity in the marketplace. It was pretty easy to sell cars, pretty easy to have capital uh, to grow the business. Um, Dallas was uh, emerging. And so uh, the business really took off in the first four years. And I remember um, about year four, uh, right before the market crashed, that, gosh, I thought I had achieved every single thing I wanted for the business. I mean, the revenues were up, we were um, opening new stores, we were getting recognized, I think as the, at the time we were the third fastest growing company in North Texas. And so, so much was going well, but internally, I was hurting. I did not have a healthy relationship with my wife. I was not spending enough quality time with uh, my two young boys. Um, I wasn't really uh, engaged in a lot of deep relationships with friends. Um, um, my health really wasn't, uh, wasn't eating well, wasn't exercising. And so my whole identity was the business. And that's really not who I wanted to become. And so I think, you know, it looks like there's, there is an invisible story that you know, Steve Hall is not the founder of, of Driver Select. There's, there's more to that, right? And so that's kind of where it really originated is that it's so easy as an entrepreneur to attach your identity to the business, um, but it's, it also can be very dangerous if the business is something that's not in alignment with the values of the entrepreneur. You know, you speak with such a spirit of transparency, and I appreciate it. I, I, I have no doubt our audience listening will as well. Do you think this invisible story piece uh, that you just shared and where, you know, part of where that came from, uh, is, is there a direct link between that and this other belief you have around full transparency? And, and to that end, I'm wondering, maybe an example of something that you are just overtly transparent about with your employees that other business leaders, CEOs and founders would just absolutely cringe at. Yeah, um, you know, I, I think for for me, transparency is really about expressing vulnerability uh, because I, I think if you can let people know where you need help, we get everything on the table. And, and what I'm amazed at is when people admit where they're stuck, how many other people want to jump in? I mean, they're just looking for ways to support you. And so I remember both internally and externally when the financial crisis hit toward the end of 08, especially through 09, um, it just rattled the automotive industry because most of our sales were based on availability of financing. That was really drives car sales. And so uh, when that dried up, I mean, it was it was really nervous for all of us and you know, automobile deal, even big manufacturers like General Motors uh, and Chrysler were going bankrupt. Thousands of dealers were going out of business. And so 
and we were losing hundreds of thousands of dollars a month uh, during that time. And the I remember the the tribe was wondering, gosh, are we going to make it? And I was trying to decide, gosh, do I really tell them how ugly it is, or do I try to just show up and focus and getting the job done and just staying alive? And it really tested how committed we are to transparency. I think that's what you know. I really look at what makes a value core is that you're willing to live that value when it becomes not only an advantage to the business, but when it can become a disadvantage to the business. And being transparent those times and telling people how ugly things were was, was very risky. And so I remember going uh, to the folks that a, we do a monthly kickoff and I was just sharing with them, we are losing lots of money. And we uh, don't see this easing up anytime soon. It's going to be extremely difficult. Here are the changes that we're going to make. And what was funny is when people don't know the reality, they assume the worst. And so we had people come up to, oh my gosh, I thought we were losing way more money than that. And gosh, I thought we were way worse off than that and and it taught me that if you if you don't get things on the table and you don't get the issues addressed early on they tend not to work themselves out they only they, they tend to spread they tend to get worse because people when the absence of knowledge they get insecure and when they get insecure they tighten up and they uh, disengage and they lose focus. And now that we got everything else out on the table and, and told them how ugly it was, one, it was not as bad as what many of them thought. And two is, okay, we're fine with now that we know we don't have to waste a lot more energy thinking about what's going on. We know reality. Let's get back to work. And that was really, really helpful. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, that is something uh, I was told by uh, a leadership coach uh, several years ago that the mind, our brain, uh, our brains uh, are an incredible employee, but a really, really crappy boss. And I think your example really highlights that, that, you know, what stories we can make up in our minds tend to be considerably worse uh, when we allow ourselves to go versus just, uh, you know, sharing, Hey, this is the scenario. This is how bad things are. And the response you got, I think really demonstrates that, uh, you know, our, our, our minds are, are really powerful, uh, really powerful organs and can take us into some pretty, uh, dark and gloomy places. That is for sure. That is for sure. Let's, uh, I want to, I want to turn the conversation here for a minute. Um, you know, the business I'm in, of course, is the recruiting business. And one of the tools that has, I think, really changed the game specifically from a transparency perspective. So staying with this transparency theme is Glassdoor. And I don't know how often you look at Glassdoor, uh, but I look at it from time to time. It gives us uh, as a firm a great opportunity uh, to learn about an organization, at least from one angle, of course. And, uh, you know, you have to take it uh, with a, a bit of a grain of salt. But 
you know, if you have any level of, uh, of discipline and looking at these, you can, you can tell uh, how an organization operates, what employees, both current and former, say, how they say it. You can easily pick off uh, some of the one-off comments versus those that uh, are the consistent ones. When I visited Drivers Select Glassdoor page, I was stunned, and I mean this in nothing but a positive way. You as a CEO have the highest rating I've ever seen. And the organization as an organization has an incredibly high rating. I believe it's 4.8 out of five stars. And your CEO rating is 100%. First, were you aware? And second, I mean, wow, do you just... Where do you go from here? How do you continue to up the ante and maintain such a level of respect and admiration from people who work for you today and those that have that have worked for you in the past? We first had me a little nervous while <laughs> I hadn't checked that. So, uh, uh, but uh, I'm glad that uh, we, we do have a good rating. Um, but you know, it, it's a lot of it's just continuing to model, I think some of the things that help us is we've chosen only four core values because we really believe that to make them core, you have to repeat them often to the point where they're almost mocking you and you have to be able to model them. And so I think that, you know, people probably disagree with a lot of the things um, that I do and they get frustrated um, sometimes how I say it um, I remember a coach of mine said uh, and it took me years to understand this but he said your whispers come across as shouts and I would always get troubled with gosh I just mentioned that casually and, and they totally freaked out about it and I, I couldn't understand that but I had to be aware of how much of an impact the slightest things uh, have on people. And so I, I still struggle with that. But at the end of the day, I look at it much like um, I do with my three boys. You know, I, I remember I was going through carpool last year and I was dropping off my two older boys there at the time. They were nine and six. And, um, they were in the elementary schools and I just remember dropping them off and I was leaving carpool and I was just like, gosh, I really hope they go to school today and get excited about learning. They, they have a teacher that really cares for their development, that is going to help them develop, that they meet some really good friends, that they um, attach themselves to other kids that have the similar values. So, you know, you have these expectations of the schools you send your kids to, but we sometimes don't hold the workplace as accountable for the same standards. And so I was thinking, is, you know, we have a very similar obligation for our tribe members. And I think is that we've got to create an environment that even if they don't agree, we respect each member's voice and opinions um, that were open to different ways of how they might be able to learn. 
we create an environment that uh, recognizes and nurtures humility, that we in, inspire habits that build collaboration and, and long-term learning. And, but at the end of the day, as long as they know that I care about them as a person, that I am paying attention to them, not as a contributing member that's going to help drive revenues, but that we contribute, uh, care about themselves and their family. I, I think that helps with them getting around some of the comments uh, and suggestions and strategies and policies that I put in place. You know, it's uh, it's it's it sounds like. It's very much a uh, a give and take in many ways, a yin to the yang, where you know you are in a constant state of development. You know the occasional whisper, which is heard as a shout, um, is perhaps more tolerable by those who might be on the receiving end of the whisper or make too much of it, because they know at the end of the day that you are modeling this spirit of care and that it's not just about what has each member of the tribe delivered to the business that day, that they really feel that sense of appreciation and care that you and I would imagine the entire leadership team display on a consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, we try to implement it as many places as possible. So every Tuesday morning, we have our weekly leadership meeting, and it, we always started out by uh, care acts, and it, it's what caring acts that did you notice that were they expressed this week, and, and we as a leadership team have to go around the room, and you have to come to that meeting uh, prepared to have a care act that you've witnessed over the past week. So it forces you to constantly be looking out for them and, and recognize. And then I'll usually send a handwritten note or I'll just walk up to that person and be able to thank them for caring, right? And, and a lot of what we're seeing uh, isn't just caring for someone at work. It's, it's the thoughtfulness uh, in the personal life or the past few weeks, we've seen more and more uh, examples from our key suppliers and how they're caring for the business and recognizing those folks. And so uh, we have their, at their monthly kickoff, we have the care awards. We don't have salesmen of the month or employee of the month. Uh, we recognize who is the person that represented transparency the best this past month? Who is the person that represented learn to earn? Who is the person that represented the value of take ownership? And who is the person that represented the value of celebrate small successes? And then we have the tri uh, tribe members who nominated them read why they nominated that person. So you can see that there is people feel the love, they feel the care. It, it's easy. I think one of the biggest examples I've seen in this is we had a person in our reconditioning uh, department and he was been trying to get custody of his 13 year old daughter in Ohio. And uh, finally, after about two, three years, he announces that he finally got custody and his wife and him, ex-wife and him were on very good terms. Um, and 
he finally got custody and we were celebrating. So we threw him a big party and when the daughter got here, we threw her a party and it's a lot of celebration. Well, then we found out the reason he got custody was uh, his ex-wife had cancer and that uh, she was trying to transition the 13-year-old daughter down to Texas because she knew she only had a couple months to live. And so the next trip, the daughter went back up to Ohio to see her mom and then got back. And, uh, and with the day she got back, the following day, the mother passed. And we knew that this particular tribe member uh, was flying his daughter back and forth and just moved her into the house and probably didn't have a lot of her arms to be able to get her back up for the funeral. And uh, so I said, you know what? I am going to buy a ticket for uh, the tribe member and his daughter to go up there. And I remember Kay, who you mentioned, who's in charge of our culture. She said, Steve, you don't need to. We've already raised the money internally. Wow. And what and what that imagine how that tribe member felt. He's like, you know, if I would have done it for him, he would have been like, oh, you know, that's great. Uh, I've got a boss who cares about me, um, but he also knows that I have the resources to do that. But when they have 50, 60 fellow tribe members chipping in money to buy them, I've got 50, 60 people who may not have a lot of money themselves, but they're willing to chip in and buy me those. So it meant more from coming from the entire tribe than just me stepping in and saying, hey, here's another example of CARE Act, right? And so that's what I mean by randomly express. Yeah, I'd say uh... – I'd say that's a pretty good example and something that uh, as devastating an event that uh, uh, that is and the impact I'm sure it had on everybody for you to witness your culture, your team respond in a way that uh, is just truly a, a display of expressing a, a random act of care is that's a that's a powerful story. Um, thank you for sharing that. What, what we want. Yeah, what we want is. Um, Part, part of the culture is when success happens or positive things happen in our lives, we want to share those outcomes in a way where they're multiplied. And when unfortunate things happen and we want to share so the pain is spread between all of us, right? So no one person feels a great deal of, of, of the pain themselves and and that's kind of the, the whole approach to this is is multiply the fun the joy the excitement and share the pain together yeah it's uh well you know i have to add my own personal experience here as i mentioned earlier during our chat i had the opportunity uh, to visit your operation in dallas briefly we didn't have a lot of time together and uh, it was interesting as you were walking me around, giving me a tour of the facility and you were kindly introducing me to all your all your tribe members. You didn't mention who I was other than my name. You didn't indicate that we were friends or, you know, had connected through this conscious capitalism movement uh, or that I was a vendor or a partner or a customer. You gave no label to me. You just introduced me as Brian. And I don't know if you saw, I certainly experienced it. Every single person 
uh, looked me in the eye, greeted me with a smile, shook my hand, and almost, almost every time, oh, hey, when are you starting? What position are you going to be in? You know, everybody immediately <laughs> jumped to the conclusion. You look like a used car sale. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, you know, talk about uh, randomly, you know, carrying acts randomly expressed. Everyone treated me immediately as, you know, as if they were welcoming me to the tribe, not knowing whether or not I was a a new tribe member or not. It was really, really cool. And and I think a great reflection uh, of what it is that uh, that you and the team have built. So congratulations and and thanks to you. That's great. Thanks for everyone for making me feel so welcome. It was really great. It was really great. One of the, uh, the really the last area that, that I that I want to chat about is, and this was very uh, sort of a surprise and a, and a positive surprise when I was out there. But uh, you know, right when I got there, you and Kay were sharing with me uh, what was a really big strategic move for you guys as it relates to your community involvement. And you guys, uh, you know, and I'll let you tell the, the, the longer version of the story, but essentially, you know, as driver select continued to grow, one of the things that is clearly important to you is to make a commitment to the community and create a, a great community where you're operating. And you recognize that, you know, your charitable and community and volunteer spirit of volunteerism was a a bit scattered. And those are my words, not yours. And so maybe from here, you can sort of uh, finish the story and and share with our audience what it is you guys decided to do and the impact you're having and how that's really creating, I think, an interesting, really unheard of experience with your customers as well as your teammates and your tribe members. I think it's really interesting. Share that if you would, please. Yeah, so uh, to to your point, we were very scattered in our charitable strategy. I mean, anybody that would, you know, whether it's a tribe member would come to us, support uh, this charity I'm involved in, or customers would come in, or people would uh, just uh, send us requests to, to sponsor. We were given little bits of money to many different organizations. And, and we just said, look, if we're really going to make an impact, We've got to apply the same strategy we have for the business uh, to any key initiative that we have, which is about doing a few things really well and making a big impact in a small area. And we weren't applying that to this side of the business. So we said, what we're going to do is we're going to go all in on one charity, one organization, and we're going to, the only terms that I gave for that is I wanted the company to focus on early childhood. And the reason is I felt that that is our best opportunity. If we can impact someone, it's best to try to do it early. Outside of that, they could pick whatever organization they wanted to work with. So Kay um, organized several different uh, charitable organizations to come in and do pitch days for us. And they presented to the tribe and then they decided to go with a local charity called Bogle Alcove, which helps with uh, early childhood uh, development, taking care of providing 
care for the parents, uh, uh, mainly single women who have come from shelters. And they have children anywhere from six weeks to six years old, and they provide uh, transitional space, and they help the, uh, the child continue to develop, uh, as well as keep on top of the schools. And so um, what we did was we, our, we first started out says we're going to just gift $25,000 to them. And then we said, well, wait a second, there's got to be a, a bigger way. And so we talked a little bit about what we could really do for the organization. And we came up with this concept that uh, we, we had this belief that most people want to make an impact, but they just either don't know how or they feel they don't have the resources. And so we said, well, um, what if we could make an impact with a small amount of money by leveraging a big community? And so if a whole entire community came together with one single focus and at just a few dollars, we could actually make a big impact. So we not only took the strategy ourselves, but we took our own uh, strategy and, and said, let's apply that strategy to our customer base. And what came out of that was, we were going to ask our customers for one donation, $10, uh, and that would go to support the local charity. If they And we didn't accept anything less and anything more. So we had customers who wanted to come in and donate $5, some wanted to donate 100 and we just turned those away and said, no, if you want to donate less or more, here's the website, go. But for us, it's going to be very simple, $10. Um, and then what we did was, we said, we've got to show these people that, that that $10 can really make an impact. So we created a match program, and as we're selling five, 600 cars a month, you potentially can raise five, $6,000 a month from the community, and we match that. So our goal is to raise over $100,000 in the next year for the charity. But what we're doing now is everybody that donates uh, because of, they purchase a car, we also have their email address. So we're going to be sending them every quarter, we're going to be sending them how much we raised and where that money's going. So this quarter, we're going to be sharing with the people who donated over the last uh, few months, we're going to be sharing with them that their money went to help kids with the summer program and that because uh, they've been through some pretty dramatic life experiences, we're able, they were able to keep these kids in school. Uh, during the summer and continue the learning so as they go back into the fall, um, they're not going to be behind. And so um, they're after the, uh, the next quarter, we'll probably talk about the after-school program where these uh, single moms are transitioning and, and they can't afford daycare right now, but to get a job, they have to make sure that the kids are in school and they have after daycare. So we're going to be talking a lot about how that money's going to expand the Vogel Alcove after school program. And so they can really see that, gosh, I never knew $10 could go so far because the $10 doesn't go far on its own. But when it's combined with an entire community with a single focus, um, it can really make a big impact. And it, it's just, it's so in alignment with our whole retail strategy. Well, and I just think, uh, you know, the ability to demonstrate for your customers how Driver Select as an organization is more than just, and not that, you know, being uh, an automotive uh, 
retailer and automotive sales company isn't enough, but to demonstrate that you're more than that. I think it's just an amazing bond or loop to close with your customers of how you're creating positive impact in the world. And, you know, perhaps not such a random expression of, of care, but a, a more deliberate one, but a deliberate one in a very focused effort that is just going to impact lives on a pretty profound level as you continue to grow the program. So kudos to you and the team. And I know Kay put a lot of hard work into that. So kudos to her as well and on a job well done. And uh, I just think it's awesome. So congrats. Yeah. And I think a lot of it just, again, supports the whole concept that we have around care that we're not just caring about the charity. We're not caring just about how it impacts our brand, but we're also caring about the giver, the, the customer that's giving the $10 and not just saying, hey, you're going to impact it, but caring enough to follow back up year around and, and send them three, four times a year updates on the difference that they're making. And so that's, that's where care is really spread between the giver and the receiver. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. For those of you out there in the audience that uh, are in the market or, or soon to be in the market for a vehicle, and you're the type of situational buyer that Steve uh, had mentioned where, you know, the sticker price of a new car is, you know, you just don't find the, the value there. Uh, you still uh, appreciate a newer body style, the newest technology and all the other factors that Steve had mentioned uh, and, you know, want to still have the convenience of the factory warranty in a one-year, maybe two-year-old car with incredibly low mileage and just great shape. Uh, I can tell you from firsthand experience, having seen probably in excess of four or 500, maybe even 600 cars during my visit there, an incredibly well-run operation with incredibly dedicated tribe members. Uh, I would encourage you, all of you, visit driversselect.com. That's drivers, plural, select.com. Uh, just an amazing organization. And uh, for those of you out there that uh, might be looking for a new opportunity, I do know, uh, having chatted with Steve, that Driver Select is going to be doing some pretty major growth, a very successful organization that... Uh, in my opinion, probably will only be limited by its ability to continue to bring in amazingly talented people that live their core values, who want to infect the world with highly contagious care. They are growing, and so you can certainly visit driverselect.com and learn all about the career opportunities uh, that they have both now as well as likely uh, an explosion here into the future. Steve, Man, it is such a pleasure to spend time with you. Uh, I really have enjoyed getting to know you over the years, and I look forward to many more conversations ahead. Thanks for joining me so much. Yeah, likewise, Brian. I mean, you, you guys are doing such great work, and I just really appreciate the opportunity to contribute to the content you're putting out there and uh, continue to uh, bring us more content like this. I mean, it's it's I enjoy it uh, every time I receive it. So uh, keep up the great work. I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Steve. I hope you enjoyed hearing our interview with Steve. If you're interested in a transcribed version of this show or want to listen to more episodes of the Built on Purpose podcast, please visit yscouts.com forward slash podcast. Also, if you'd like to recommend someone as a guest for the show, I'd love it. Drop me a line, brian at yscouts.com. I promise more great interviews are on the way. Thanks again for listening.